If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, as I kind of normally do, I was curious to see how the kind of aggregator sites would rate the sort of feedback from yeah. fans. So, like, I looked at Rate Your Music, Sputnik, Best of Our Albums. All three had somewhere along the highway as the number one album yeah. based on, you know, fan ratings and reviewer ratings and things like that. Um, both Sputnik and Best of Our Albums had Salvation as number two. Yeah. Uh, rate Your Music and Salvation as number four, which I thought was a little bit odd. Uh. They had Vertical at number two. Interesting. Um, I know a lot of people. I think maybe people that just got into them really liked that record. Like new fans found that mm-hmm. like loved that album. But um, and they had uh, Don at number three, the new album, mm. which is cool. I mean, I mean they're cool, taking any account. Quick to yeah. go in. Then you had the likes of like Eternal at five, uh, Eternal at four, and the best of her albums one. Eternal at 6 out of 7 and Sputnik uh, their, their self-titled one almost always the first album almost always featured pretty low as did Beyond they were yeah. almost always in, in, in the bottom half Mariner was the one that I thought I was a little confused by on a couple of the lists it didn't feature at all ostensibly yeah. because it, some people treated it as a, an EP uh, Sputnik had it at number 3 like an hour and a half long <laughs> yeah. yeah Sputnik had it at number 3 though which I think is good it's yeah b- after somewhere salvation mariner is yeah certainly to be honest it's probably my third favorite yeah um there was also a feature in loudwire which i thought was quite interesting which was neurosis versus cult of luna uh, yeah. and it was like a fan vote <laughs> and they just sort of taken like a, a distinct track by each that uh-huh. sort of did a similar thing like battle um, battled it out spoiler alert neurosis won at 68.6 percent with cult of luna on 31.4 oh well um, i mean that's not quite fair that's like pitching a dad against his son (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it happen Um, I know it's Glasgow but yeah I mean uh, and so I guess that's kind of in line with what we're saying I mean obviously in their in the context of their canon though somewhere along the highway isn't particularly unsung um, yeah but but I think maybe as a genre and as a band they 
yeah, I mean, don't play to the, the, the venues that they probably should be. Yeah, the overall genre is not the most well known, and mm. the band themselves are well known in metal communities, maybe, but not necessarily well known. Yeah, and they've never gone out there. They've never, you know, signed to a major, and they've never done huge amounts of interviews or press or done anything weird. They just like focus a lot on recording and then really focus on their live show as well once that's done like their light show is absolutely incredible um they're so tight live I, i've seen them i can't remember three times but i i saw them play somewhere along the highway in full a couple of years ago at the garage in glasgow which is actually a really good sounding venue and then i saw them in ivory blacks about six years ago oh god there's not a good sounding venue <laughs> um but like they played with two drummers and uh, oh, they were just fucking shit hot live so heavy but so good you know, you know something that does get me a wee bit I mean looking at some of the rave reviews they've got I did wonder a little bit about the psychology that's going on behind Cult of Luna they're, they're, a, they're a privileged band in the sense it's very hard to find excessively negative coverage of them anywhere mm. I mean even like their lowest uh, rated albums are coming in at like 7.5 and stuff like that you know the yeah. early stuff as good as they are, and they, they're a band I like, in fact, I would say they're a band I like a lot, <laughs> Yeah, uh, at times especially, they're absolutely not a, a 10 out of 10, 9.6 band on, on the kind of scale of international bands over the piece. Some of their work is certainly up there, but mm-hmm. not all of their work. But there's a kind of unimpeachability about Cult of Luna that I'm quite curious about, because it, it's almost like every scene needs this like champion, this like untouchable presence that everybody just you know to be in that scene you all nod and sort of agree there's a consensus that you know this is this band is just you know they are they are basically flawless mm. and that that bothers me a wee bit about Cult of Luna because they're definitely not flawless there's huge sections of the discography I don't know if there's huge sections I think there's small chunks of the, some of their Given records. Given that each song is like 10 minutes long, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's albums where 30 minutes passed and you're like, that is not in the top 50% of their career. And I think that exempts them from the kind of yeah, upper but echelons. I mean, if all... They've never career, done a bad album, though. But Well, no, they've not, but they've had, they've had okay albums. And I think that's sort of... I'm just saying, like, to get to be getting 10s out of 10s, to be getting mm. 9.6s in magazines that very rarely go over 8, and st- it, it's it's odd. I think there's an odd something about Cult of Luna that makes people want them to succeed, which is great for them. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm not particularly begrudging it. I'm, I think... Maybe I'm a little bit. Um, I do really like the band. I yeah. do just think that's a little bit strange, though, looking at the the, the level of their ratings. Because, I mean, Cult of Luna were the only band to ever get 10 out of 10 in Metal Hammer, apart from Metallica, mm-hmm. on on an album rating. It was for Salvation, wasn't it? Yeah. And and that is... I mean, the fucking Metallica album was a black album, so... <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's like a statement by the magazine. Yeah, and I think that's odd. What what is it about this band that people are so under the spell of this band as good yeah. as they are? But I mean, it's just a talking point. I just I think it's kind of strange. Um, but by no means a bad band. What I will say is, on the, in the course of doing this research and in the course of listening to all this stuff, given how how revered somewhere along the highway is mm-hmm. and how good it is, no no argument there. But how revered it is, and the fact that I actually don't think Mariner is far off it for mm. quality yeah. but is dramatically less igno- like acknowledged for me 
think Mariner is a more unsung album. Yeah. I don't think it's as quite as good as Somewhere Along the Highway, but it's substantially more overlooked yeah. than Somewhere Along the Highway. And so purely on the basis of the ratio of like quality to, to profile, even just within the context of the band's catalogue, I think th- I would actually probably put forward Mariner. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's not an indictment to Somewhere. I think it's great. But I think Marner has really taken me by surprise as to just how fucking excellent a record it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll probably I'll stick out my best of Cult of Luna uh, Spotify playlist. playlist. Yeah, yeah, basically all <laughs> albums, all tracks. That was like uh, when I was trying to make a best of Fear Factory uh, playlist, and it was just like, oh, just all of Fear Factory. But um, maybe you're right. Maybe Marner is slightly more unsung. But for me, like. If I'm going to come on and talk about an unsung band, about an unsung band, then I'm going to talk about my favorite album and the one that I am like sort of personally attached to. And Mariner is a fucking great record by probably you know one of my top three favorite bands. But like somewhere along the highway has like a personal connection to me because I just fucking love it so much and I listen to it at a particular time in my life where it just like. I bathed in it for fucking six months. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't come on this podcast and talk passionately about how fucking incredible Mariner is. I just talk about how it's a really great album and it should get more props. Whereas for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to him about how fucking <laughs> unreal. No, I'm, I'll, I'll cut it down a little Please bit. Please do. No, um, take us away. Yeah. Have it. I, so wait a minute. Thematically, this is based on the book "Life and Times of Michael Kay by mm-hmm. Jane Coetzee, the South African author. Coetzee, yeah. Coetzee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so because the oldest grace is fucking tremendous. It's the one you always see in charity shops. It's fucking good, man. It's really good. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it is quite funny that it explores the themes of male loneliness. Yeah, yeah about a, a white man who's, who's in South, who's a, a South African white man who writes about, you know, the diaspora of white farmers. David, uh, since you're... Uh, <laughs> a South African you're, white you're farmer. Ac- <laughs> since your accents are the toast of the town online, do you care to try and do a South African accent? Oh, this? South Africa's easy, mate. I can do a South African, man. Fucking hell, mate. Uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> did you jump into that so easy? Oh, I, just, I fucking... I've been, listening to me, I've been listening to too much... Uh, Bob Mortimer on uh, <laughs> Athletic Mince. He does a South African story every week. Uh, fucking prawns. Uh, fucking prawns, mate. Uh, uh, so this album was recorded in an, uh, <laughs> an octagonal wooden barn uh, deep in the, the forest in Scandinavia. I mean, you can truly hear that. With o- octagonalism. <laughs> and apparently there were, like, women doing witchy, wicky kind of stuff in the, in the woods that the guys mm. in the band kept seeing in the at various times and they said that well obviously kind of contributes towards the kind of occulty moody creepy vibes of it of course they were obviously the barn the whole octagonal wooden barn thing contributes to that analog aesthetic as well yeah natural reverb clearly uh, I mean, they described it themselves as being a far less polished album, even than Salvation. Um, it's very, yeah. it's very vibey. It's organic. Thing, it's yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, it's interesting talking about. I, I kind of missed that earlier, but like a lot of what makes post metal what it is are like elemental themes. You look back at Isis and Oceanic, and you look at Pelican with Australasia and um, yeah, I mean, and it, stuff like it's that. It's a genre of scale, isn't it's it? It's a genre of scale, and it's like being at one with earth and the world and nature and like trying to like those riffs are gigantic sweeping panoramas yeah absolutely it's a very cinematic genre but also a very 
yeah, natural genre. Um, as as such, though, um, it's interesting the way they open the record, you mm-hmm. know, because they don't go for this explosive thing to start. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, much like uh, on Salvation as well, um, you know, they they come in with that quiet space, and I think what they're doing is whereas on the first two records they're going in there, everything's turned up full and their dynamic is between nine and ten on <laughs> their amp. Nine and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're coming in here now and they're going, hey, for the next 80 minutes, expect really quiet bits as well as really loud bits. Mm. And then if you start l- quiet, then it makes the loud bits, you know, all the louder. Yeah. Whereas if you come in at fucking nine, as they do on the first couple of records... Where do you go from there? Yeah. There's I nowhere mean, to move. What, one of the, the master strokes of the opening track, Merchant of the Heartbeats, is the fact as well that it's not throwaway. You know, it's not just a throwaway instrumental. It is, in its own right, a really, really nice bit of music. Yeah, a really nice slide it, guitar. It'd be yeah. very easy to do, like, a sort of ambient, kind of nondescript, droney, yeah. rising thing into the first big riff, but they don't. They, 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 they actually structure and compose something that's really quite beautiful in and of itself. Um, the, the, the wee kind of glockenspiel keyboard thing yeah I've actually made the mention of that as well it's yeah, awesome that's beautiful awesome. it's a really really nice production touch I like the low croon as well man I know it's, it's quite quite low in the mix but it really adds to the atmosphere I'm not mad in the croon I think the song uh, musically is far better than the singing See, I, I, th- I, th- I think it's interesting because I don't really see the singing as being like singing. It's like it's like another yeah. It's like the palette. It's like you hear a man just humming in the background. It's kind of that sort of vibe. It's not like hey, here is my melody. Mm-hmm. It's like a no, oh, I, here's here's the character of the lonely man. He's not a very good singer, but you know here he is. I, I get you. I just musically. It, it gets in the way of what I think is a beautifully written instrumental track mm-hmm. for me, just slightly, only slightly. I'm I don't know. I think it, it, it adds the personality that this album has, and like that sort of, yeah, like the, the narrative begins here with that vocal. Yeah, I think. narrative wise, it makes sense. I'll give you that. It's uh, also very post rock as well, right? It's not very post metal at all. This song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I definitely. like the way that the synth and the guitar in this are sort of like it's, it's very hard to distinguish yeah, between I, what's what. Yeah, you I know, I think, it, I think mm. it starts mainly with guitar, but then it kind of graduates into synth, and you just can't really tell. They do that a few times in this record. That's, that's, like, that's a cool. And touch. there's already three guitars on it, so it's like a, it's a really clever thing. Finland. It's interesting to say just before we go any further that Johannes had said that this is his favourite record and he said that one thing that made the record really special was that it was the only one that they ever did that, that they were able to write together live because they were all living in the same city mm. and they wrote it really, really fast. I think they said they wrote the whole album in three months for them. That's really fast. And they weren't just sitting writing. They were like, yeah, practicing with each other and engaging and like becoming really tight with yeah. each other and working out their parameters as a live band. Well, see how we said that it, where some of the other albums take 
easy options, this one doesn't. Yeah. You can hear that that's the result of everybody being there and being present and being on the same page mm-hmm. and being able... Because stuff like that is hard to write over a distance. See, mm-hmm. if you're trying to do something very unconventional with yeah. a, an idea and you're not all there to talk each other through it and try and articulate, it, you can end up just, like, giving up and saying, right, okay, I tell you what, just... Yeah, just let's just do the normal keep chuggy bit. Keep it simple, yeah. yeah Whereas well, when everyone's there and you're able to workshop those kind of more unusual twists in the music, it's far easier to make a success of it. And I think this album, as a result, benefits from that writing mm. process. I yeah. didn't know that, but that makes total sense, yeah. given that there's things in here that must have been quite hard to pull off, and you'd probably need to be there yeah. together, working on them. Well, we go into track two, Finland. Yeah. And like... Huge opening. All oh, right, we're yeah. fucking... We're still a heavy band. have lots of heft and lots of like the chug from salvation yeah one minute 40 in and i think this is like your first sign of a band that are really well practiced it doesn't take the obvious turn Uh the band just sort of take it right back into this like weird broken beat it's a much slower crescendo through that uh, song that you think is going to happen Mm. Uh, the one thing about Finland is I think not through no fault of their own it's slightly dated for the first few minutes because of the bands that came after Yeah, but I do think that what distinguishes Cult of Luna from any other sort of like post-metal band nearly any other post-metal band is at 4 minutes 10 they make a decision with a synthesizer that just lifts the entire thing to, to another level it's fucking brilliant and it's it's moments like that that have helped them stand out from, yeah from and there's the a pack. few there's a few bits on that on this whole record that just do that they're like just a little like tiny bit of synth like a weird noise or yeah, maybe like a, a lot, yeah. couple of notes mm-hmm. and you're like oh that's gonna stick with me and that raises the whole track up yeah yeah because i mean it would be easy for it to sink into like a pattern of some but those kind of compositional and production decisions uh, have turned good tracks into great tracks yeah and this is this is one of them that yeah. ends up being a great track as, as a result it is one of the tracks where you can hear the neurosis influence the, the you strongest. can hear the neurosis and then you can also hear that explosion in the sky yeah. and, and the quiet bits I was um, going to say that like see when they'll get three guitars playing three completely different melodies and it doesn't sound like a mess and it sounds like it's all weaving in between each other that's just pure brilliant and then they go fucking yeah. weaver and, and they go heavy <laughs> I fucking wish <laughs> um, I think yeah I mean it, it, it ends up being almost like the archetypal Cult of Luna tune yeah. towards yeah. the end it's, it's got all the elements the bellow it's got the riff it's got this minor chord descent it, it, it just kind of it is very them yeah the only thing I found that interesting about this which I don't think I liked was the drum production in this song mm-hmm. I found it was just too too raw and too upfront. Uh-huh. Me. I have but to say I love the sound of the kick drum yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing to pick out but, but see especially in, head, in headphones it. it sounds like you're sitting next to it yeah, yeah. You, you hear the skin and it's not so, usually especially in metal music kick drums yeah, are so, so overproduced and clicked and all this it, 
it sounds like a kick drum and mm-hmm. I think that's actually quite a nice that that, that contributes to the organic you know octagonal wooden barn <laughs> yeah <laughs> I hide. can't think I can't yeah. think of the specific to hide in the mix for me I think yeah, okay um, I mean I'd, I'd love the sound of good drums so I don't know <laughs> and like the drummer he's fucking amazing he's great he's a really really good drummer so um, back to Chapel Town Yeah, this is like the sort of King Cult of Luna riff that is, this is the most salvation mm-hmm. track on well, the used, record. You used the word shimmer earlier on. And yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think that really applies to this one. Uh, it's, it's really Yeah, it's got gay. that really basic, like, sort of uh, single line riff going down below on the uh, rhythm guitar or, or the bass. But then, yeah, you've got those guitars just come in and shivering mm-hmm. over, the, over the top. It's quite desolate. It's lush, but it's quite desolate. There's something quite haunting about it. Yeah. Without it being sparse. Yeah. I don't really know if I'm articulating I've written here that the keyboard kind of sneaks around in the background on this one as well. Yeah. It's kind of coming in and out. Like, you can hear it. It's not played a lot, Mm -hmm. but when it's there, it's it's like... Yeah, just filling little gaps. uh I would say the the change, that the step up at 3 minutes 40 in this is Cult of Luna at their best. It is them doing what they do just so fucking well. Um, it's very hard. There's there's really not a lot of other bands can do that mm-hmm. sort of moment as well as them. Uh, right and then track four, and with her come the came the birds. Yeah, this so, speaks to the rural theme of the whole record, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. this actually—it's basically an interlude, but it, it yeah. reminds me a little bit. I, I've mentioned it before of Cruel Bloom from Axe to Fall. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they've taken a fair bit of that from this. It's this sort of doom blues thing, and again, a bit like Neurosis, because Neurosis are that analog sort of like extreme blues, extreme kind of Tom Waits mm. uh, to the nth degree, and this track really sort of channels that. <laughs> I could listen to the whole album on this, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a really, really cool twist on the metal genre. Yeah. Hearing it done, that this kind of like low down, dirty blues done so totally. dark and heavy. And you know what? I think, like, even though this is basically a, like an interlude on another record, it's pretty strong. Here, for me, yeah. it's like. It's the like the emotional heart of this record. Yeah, is this? Yeah. It's like we. I'm stripped back to this, and this is what you're getting. Yeah. And it's about thematically. It's accepting being lonely, but not necessarily being miserable. 
the, I mean, I think on this track, the vocals for me work better. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. think mm-hmm. the the banjo fuck it is brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got I've written that as well. Yeah, it's a really good um, touch. And uh, there's a there's a I mean, I've used a few comparisons with Constellation Band recently, but Constellation is such an iconic label, and the the Constellation as a label channels that desolation of you know mm-hmm. I mean desolation sort of like the 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 emptiness the the kind of ghostliness of Canada this this has elements of that there's a band called Sackville on Constellation that uh, this actually sounds very like this one particular tr- tune sounds very like and it's a, that's a that's a good thing So um, Johannes has said about this track that he said uh, that it's definitely one of his favourite parts on the record. And if you listen really careful at the start, they'd put a mic outside of the cottage that they were recording in mm-hmm. or the barn That's and really recorded cool. they recorded it in the middle of the night. Um, and he's like, oh, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think we all had fucking candles and stuff like that. <laughs> and if you listen in the first seconds, you can hear uh, melting water from the snow melting from the roof. And then uh, you know going down a stream, and like yeah, if you if you listen in headphones up, you're like, oh, it's not a sound effect they've put in. That's just a mic from them recording this song live. That's awesome. You know, which yeah. is just so good. They jump out of it brilliantly. The track thirty four, that that intro with the, these kind of like neoclassical sort of yeah big percussive crashes. It's yeah, a really it's like, dramatic build. Yeah. you know, it's an excellent way to come out of the of um, and with her came the birds. Um, it's weird because it's, it's actually like 34 is actually quite sparse um, yeah it's interesting it does that thing that maybe Finland did as well was that it, you expect it to build and build mm-hmm. but it doesn't it collapses it a little bit yeah, and it, it retreats, retreats a bit. and it's like the beat that it retreats into as well is much less identifiable as a metal beat of any yeah. sort I mean it becomes very very post-rocky very sort of like uh-huh. odd yeah. Before it then turns into like ultra metal, you yeah. know, like it goes into this when the, when the vo- the vocals and that riff arrive on the same theme, right enough. But when they arrive, it, it compensates for that that kind of like departure. I think quite well. Um, it's devastating when they come in like his, his vocals almost like fire breathing I think it's because it stands in stark contrast to what was just come before it but it's just like it's so up front in the mix as well yeah. it's huge I, I don't want to say it. there's not necessarily a chorus in this but the, if there's anything that can be called a chorus it's, there's a sort of almost mildly victorious kind of mm-hmm. chord resolve yeah. that happens in that as well yeah it's, it's quite, quite an empowering feeling yeah, yeah definitely I, like I was maybe I was just thinking too deep about the thematics of it but like to me it sounded like if we're talking about this character of the lonely man and then you've got this like the lonely man the lonely man um yeah on 34 he suddenly decides oh fuck it do you know what i'm gonna get out of my bed of depression 
and deal with this and then you'll realise oh shit I've got to get dressed and stuff and you retreat a little bit mm. but then by the end of the song he's done fuck it no I'm actually I'm going to go outside and I'm going to buy potatoes I'm going to barter with the witch next door <laughs> uh, Dim track uh, I fucking love this track It's like this record keeps building and building. Hmm. Um, I think it's so well structured, this album. And like this is like a total classic Cult of Luna track. Lovely little lines, things come in and say hi, little melodies and keyboard parts. Uh, 306, there's like this little sound effect, which is like a... It sounds like a, like a stuttering bird or something yeah. like that. But it really fucking adds texture to the whole track. Uh, and then it gets bigger and better. Like 323, you've got this like perfect sort of neurosis riff, but it's like more personal and perfected than I think neurosis ever managed. Uh, and then like the lead guitar starts soaring up over the top. I'm gonna say that was sacrilege, but Well, uh, yeah. By the time you get to like 630, the drums are just fucking amazing, the bass is chugging. Guitars are exploring There's everywhere. So many layers of guitars. There must be like six or yeah, seven guitars. Yeah, they must guitar have just like right, more guitar, more guitar, but it crazy. never gets over. Yeah. Like there's still somehow space there, even though it's so heavy. And then it breaks down a bit. And then there's one more time for just fucking one more chug, which is the classic lonely man. <laughs> oh, just one more chug. <laughs> uh, and then it all just. Maybe that's what 34 is. 30, yeah, exactly. 34 more chugs. <laughs> <laughs> and then quietly it just sort of falls apart. And like the last two minutes, or it just deconstructs itself and sort of fades back to nothing. So, uh, like, to be honest, if the album ended there, I'd be like, "What a fucking stunning record!" Right. So I'm going to break with the pack here, uh-huh. um, and I think this is interesting, right? Because you guys are both fans of Death Heaven, mm-hmm. who coincidentally Mark is about to go and see as yeah. soon as we finish recording. Mm-hmm. And as we know, I'm not a fan of Death Heaven. Yeah. Right. And a lot wrong. about this track reminded me of Death Heaven. Now, I don't necessarily mean in terms of the way the, the, the thing sounds, but I mean in terms of, first of all, the, the, the chord choices, the chord progressions in it, mm-hmm. there's a kind of posy vibe to it. Yeah. It's, it's quite upbeat, um, it's quite major, which doesn't massively work for me, but I could live with it. What bothers me about this song is that I think it's a, it feels a little bit unevolved. Like, this is by far the weakest track on the record for me. I think. Whilst I do really like there's a synth touch in it with the synth kind of swings up and swings down. Um, I think that's nice, but the progressions underneath it are a little banal. The the whole thing just seems a little bit less considered than some of the other songs. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the choices in it, the kind of predictable drop down, then it bursts out all loud. it, It just... I could see too much of this song coming and it's not something I could say about the rest of the album yeah. and, and I feel like as I said that coupled with that sort of major metal vibe of Death Heaven it, it left me cold I didn't it really pulled me out of the spell a bit and uh, it's, the only interesting. Tra- it's the only track on the record that I don't rate uh, okay interesting like for me it really works like, yeah um, and as because I like that posy stuff, and yeah, well, as I say, you guys are definitely fans. I'm not, and yeah. as I say, it gave me the same feeling of like 
I don't want to be upbeat in my fucking middle. Yeah, but yeah. like as mentioned with like Russian circles, sometimes like the obvious thing, I'm happy for it to go there if it does it really well, and uh, that's maybe you know mm. what this does. It's like sometimes I just want a cheese sandwich, man. Do you know what I mean? It's fucking obvious and simple. See, I but, very, you know? I very rarely will make just a cheese sandwich. I'll be honest. You just I, but you just have one big cooked sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Like you, you wait a minute. Your music taste, I would say, is just one big. That wasn't a metaphor, right? No? <laughs> I mean, I'm so as a result, I'm glad the album doesn't end with this, and yeah, it ends. With I mean, I'm obviously glad because you yeah. just want more. Yeah, Dark City Dead Dark Man, City Dead Man yeah. is, is a good song I do think Dark City Dead Man takes about five minutes to properly find its feet that might sound like a lot to listeners but it's a very long yeah. song no but it's not finding its feet it's just getting yeah. there slowly because no, it's, the, it's a 15 minute track it is it's patient but um, I, I, once it finds its feet it really does find its feet Um, I think about 8 minutes 50 there's like a pitch bent thing it's, it's basically just one note that's been bent a semitone up and down mm-hmm. a semitone up and down and it goes on for fucking ages but it's super effective and I yeah, thought it was a vocal sample No, no, I think it's either a tremolo thing with like a delay on it, so it's almost imperceptible the gaps between the notes, or it is just in fact a sustained sort of synth note. Maybe he's using a pitch wheel to bend it, but it's such a simple technique, but it's really, really good. Um, I think what what really makes this tune is that from the 10 minute mark onwards, which it goes on for about 14, 15 minutes, yeah. Um, some of the chord changes are just fucking brilliant. Oh, they're so beautiful, excellent. Mm unexpected chord changes yeah. uh, that just give it a majesty and a kind of emotional impact that I think for example Dim yeah. has really lacked and I, I really love the, the, the way that it just ragdolls you about at mm-hmm. the end emotionally from chord to chord you know it's a couple of nice majors then a big big minor and it's just mm-hmm. a real good emotional payoff and the production is amazing because like they just keep adding bits to it and adding bits to it and yet somehow there's still space but I mean it's the ultimate climax of the entire record so yeah by the end of it it's they've thrown as much as they will throw at you mm-hmm. on it but it's just so Epic! It is literally epic. It's yeah, yeah, fucking amazing. There's a bit of finger. There's a bit in the outro, which I think is. I couldn't decide if it's finger tapping or keyboards. Guitar, but it sounds like one or the other. Like just the outro, like melody on the guitar oh, or yeah. keyboard, and I was like, I don't know what that is, but I, I like that. I like, that. I like that. I don't know what, <laughs> don't it, know is. what it is, but I like it. <laughs> it could uh, be either or. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a fucking really good record. But yeah, I mean uh, that. I mean, it's one of my most played songs of all time. I just fucking love that song. Mm. And yeah, this record. So I mean, for me personally, it's like an album I've been waiting to put in since we started this because it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Mm. 
I think when I when it came out and when I started listening to it, I was at uni and I lived up a hill behind the university in Stirling in a little cottage, literally in the middle of nowhere. We were next to a farm and some woods, and most of the time my flatmate was out, so I just I was living in this cottage and on my own. Witches cutting a bit, and there was witches cutting a bit. <laughs> so many actually, witches. we were just part. Witches it was spread. right across from a, a dogging car park. So oh, good stuff. <laughs> uh, but like I remember listening to the, I just went for a fucking walk one cold spring morning uh, Into the hills And like went out for like three hours And I just listened to this track This album three times in a row I had 34 chugs I had 34 <laughs> chugs in a field um, But yeah for It's just such a fucking perfect album I think it's the one with the clearest narrative The clearest theme The best structure The most balanced track listing It's the one that takes you on the most sort of interesting and perfect journey of any of their records um, yeah, all of I mean, its organic sounds all of the textures all of the space all of the pacing I don't think it is perfect but I think if I look at it objectively like there are some, maybe some bits that maybe lag a little bit and I think I had Dim in there but it's my absolutely favourite mm-hmm. it's my absolute favourite I agree it's the best overall record and Dim is a minor reservation it's not a bad song I just don't think it's up to the standard of the songs around it yeah um, so I, I yeah I, I don't think it's perfect but I think it's their most perfect put it that way yeah, yeah. Um, so it's yeah. a perfect album for travelling through a wintry Scotland uh, in the rain and chugging in a field and chugging in a field um, so here's the thing though right so a bit like the people that didn't vote at the Brexit referendum because they assumed that it wasn't going to happen and they just weren't going to entertain it uh, I am going to say no but I'm going to say no purely as a, a vote of support for Marner yeah, right? okay. not because I don't think this is a great record it is a great record but I really think Marner has been horribly overlooked as an, a, a, an album or mm-hmm. extended EP whatever the fuck you want to call it and so I'm saying no, but I'm only saying no in the premise that yeah, okay. I want people to take... You want listeners to go and listen to To Mariner. really understand how much I'm trying to recommend Marla. Yeah, it is fucking yeah. excellent. And I I'm, mean, I obviously say yes. Mark, I say yes to it. It's yeah, like it's I'm fucking sure superb. I'm pretty sure it'll go in, to be honest. So yeah. I'm just giving Marla that kind of... Okay, so uh, yeah, go and vote for it. Um, and if you say no, then that means that we're going to do Mariner next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm ready. Uh, yeah, winter is coming, so we might as well bathe in Cult of Luna. Um, Nexus, we better do our Nexus before, yeah. so Mark can fuck off to death, Evan. This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you. This is what you want. I chose Ed yeah, Jones from The Simpsons, but who? It was for, by Mr. It was submitted by Mr. Tommy Simpson. Oh, Tommy Simpson. Okay, so I'll kick off because it's my. You shall. I've got to get from Cultaluna to Jimbo Jones from The Simpsons, uh, and I'll start with uh, their drummer Thomas Headland who joined in 2003 after the beyond uh, Thomas Headland is uh, he was born in Sri Lanka actually and then moved to Umia and 
is like a mainstay of uh, Cult of Luna, but he's also been like an amazing session drummer for a lot of bands, including Mike Snow. You know that? Oh yeah, pop M I I yeah yeah, and then also a French band, French indie pop electro band Phoenix. Oh no, you haven't, have you? Have you guys gone the same? You've gone the same route. Well, oh well, I'm going you two. I know we're just so connected. You guys stay together. Alright, so let's see if I go the next Yeah, let's go the next So, Phoenix, alright, French electro band, yeah, fine Um, Their track Too Young No That's fine then (laughs) uh, Was featured on the Lost in Translation soundtrack A a very good soundtrack, I think we all agree Lost in Translation uh, featured Giovanni Arabisi as John uh, Scarlett Hansen's photographer husband Uh, Giovanni Arabisi also had a recurring role in Friends as was he Phoebe's brother? We know he's a Scientologist eh? and oh, he's is he? like pure tied in with Beck. Is he not married to like Beck's sister? Oh, I don't know. But was he Phoebe's brother or something? He was uh, Phoebe's like brother that she became the surrogate mother for his child. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, another star of Friends uh, would be Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. Uh, Matt LeBlanc. And a one-time Top Gear presenter. Um, now Matt, Silver Fox. Matt LeBlanc the uh, appeared in the Bon Jovi video, Say It Isn't So, wow. uh, in the year 2000, along with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Claudia Schiffer, and Emilio Estevez. Wow. Uh, I don't remember that video, but... Don't remember that song. Yeah, because that was like off that album that, that came out... Uh, Crush where they like had a comeback album and uh, yeah it was fucking shit obviously but it had that <laughs> It's My Life track on it anyway uh, I like how that was but <laughs> <laughs> fucking shit but uh, so Emilio Estevez I don't know if you've ever seen the film Maximum Overdrive fuck yes starring yes. Emilio Estevez by Richard Bachman uh, directed by Stephen King yeah, well Stephen King's the uh, Pseudonym was yeah. Richard, ba- Robert. And Richard Bachman Robert Yeah, Richard Bachman And also he doesn't remember it, does yeah, he? Yeah, he he was on so much cocaine <laughs> in the mid-80s That Stephen King doesn't remember directing an entire film <laughs> Fucking And if you've ever watched that movie You can see this is a cocaine movie I've seen that movie a lot It's oh, really good It is mental And it's got the ACDC soundtrack That's as well fucking brilliant um, Fucking truck kills a kid Yeah, I know Fucking, fucking Pepsi cans smashing into a whole like little league team's faces. Yeah. Uh, get r- people run over by a lawnmower. Dynamite. One of the other stars of that movie is a certain Yardley Smith. Oh, Yardley Smith, uh, who's best known as the long-running uh, voice of Lisa Simpson in The Simpsons. The Simpsons, which features Jimbo Jones as the muffled bully. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Wow. I just want to say is actually um, on, I do that again but it's actually Tommy Smith that did the next it's not Tommy Simpson yeah oh well but yeah. cut out that relation to his <laughs> name then. so yeah and it was donated by Tommy Simpson so yeah Tommy Smith and it was nominated it was nominated by Tony Smith it <laughs> 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 was nominated by Tommy Smith so uh, much like Dave I began with uh, Thomas Hedlund playing drums in Phoenix um, he He's a session drummer. He's actually credited as being a session drummer for them, so he takes tours with them. Um, but he actually plays drums on their fourth album, Wolfgang Amadeus at Phoenix. 
Singer Thomas Mars stated that the band used the Oblique Strategies flashcards when they were working on this album. Now, have you ever heard of these Oblique Strategies flashcards? No. No, okay. Okay, uh, so basically... <laughs> no. Uh, basically, so uh, each card offers a prompt that's supposed to be used to help promote lateral thinking when you accompany a creative block. Um, it was created mostly for musicians, and it was created by uh, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt, who was, who's a British artist, and Brian Eno, Brian Eno obviously a producer, etc., you can actually now get the cards as an app on your phone. I'm going to pull one right now and see what happens. This is it. So a, we're assuming you're, um, you're having a mental audio. block creatively. Infinitesimal gradations is all it says. That's it. Oh, yeah. I actually, I rem- that's, um, I'm listening to a Brian Eno podcast where he talked about them. Anyway, um, lots of artists have used these cards, yeah. particularly those that have worked with Brian Eno. And perhaps the most notable is like uh, David Bowie, who used them. Apparently, in all of his Berlin records, the Berlin triptych, um, it was all. They were also used wa- by Coldplay on their album Vida, Viva La Vida, or, or Death and All His Friends, which was Clearly recorded. They work brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've not. <laughs> they've had so many ideas recently. <laughs> it was recorded. That record was unsurprisingly recorded by Brian. You know. In episode 11 of season 21 of The Simpsons, uh, which is called Million Dollar Maybe, um, Homer wins a million dollars on Laurie and uh, decides to hide it from Marge and just decide, and the whole family actually decides to just like sprinkle his family with random gifts. One of the gifts is uh, he takes Bart to see Coldplay. Oh my god. Uh, and Happy birthday. Chris Martin is in, the co- is in the episode playing himself and the song Vida La Vida, Vida La, Viva La Vida plays in, this, in the episode as well. So while the episode does not actually feature Jimbo Jones, it does feature Millhouse, and Millhouse is voiced by Pamela Hayton, who also voices Jimbo Jones. Okay. Great. Do you guys know the phenomenon of zombie Simpsons? Mm, no. Is that... No. Right, I'm not sure. So there's, there's a really, really good YouTube, YouTube video about this. Uh, uh-huh. I can't remember the guy who does it, but just if you look up zombie Simpsons, there's a half-hour video on YouTube about it, and it's to do with the point where Matt Groening left the Simpsons, uh, and okay. then the, basically the staff changed, uh-huh. uh, and the writing team changed. Yeah, I think it, I have and watched and it this. Passed, I mean, it, it's somewhere... I mean, Simpsons was, I would say, excellent till about eight, Nine, yeah. Then from ten, eleven, and twelve, you still get a lot of really good episodes, mm-hmm. and then you get these diminishing returns after that. Then there's a cliff where it just becomes this horrible, fucking mm. try hard, weird, try, exactly, yeah, mirror of what it used to be. And eat. that's what's sort of known it uh, colloquially as Zombie Simpsons, and it's Simpsons beyond the point when the show should probably have died. Mm-hmm. And if you watch this little documentary, it kind of it talks you through it. The guys spend a lot of time looking at the staff and the turnover, and interviewing people. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's really good. And when you then watch the Simpsons and watch the later series, and it's sometimes hard to work out what it is you hate about it. But for example, Homer's character is completely different from the character. Yeah, he doesn't. That he was. He's not. He doesn't have a re- redeeming features. Yeah, he's no longer exactly. Uh, yeah, and like Lisa is too preachy and is no longer like the yeah. the hard done by intellectual. Yeah. And then Bart's actually just a dick. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, it's, yeah. a, it's a brilliant yeah. YouTube video. They've lost that. all relatability, basically, yeah. which is what made them so popular in the so first place. Check that out because obviously we're talking about Simpsons, and mm-hmm. that is the it's the answer to the question: Why the fuck do I hate season twenty? Yeah, totally. seven, yeah. whatever, so yeah. much. Well, it's just amazing that people still watch it and then it's done. Hugely. Like, yeah, do, do you know what's a really interesting that episode? Million Dollar Maybe was actually written by Bill, Oden- Bill Odenkirk, uh, who's a really, really funny comedian, really good, really good actor too. Related to Bob yeah. Odenkirk. Yeah, sorry, I meant Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that's what I meant. It was actually written by him. Yeah, All right, which is cool. really strange. 
So Cult of Luna, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, when Salvation came out, was only the second album ever to be awarded 10 out of 10 uh, by Metal Hammer, the first being the Black Album by Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um, for the 2004 Download Festival, uh, the band Metallica's drummer, Mr. Lars Ulrich, I'm sure we're all familiar with, Dr- f- drummer in, in air quotes, <laughs> had fallen ill as a result of a, quote, weird half hour on a plane. Uh, not quite sure what to make of that, but uh, Lars was unable to play the Download Festival, so Metallica kind of frantically approached drummers from other frantically ba- their best. Oh, hey, uh. Frantically approached drummers from other bands that were playing at the festival, uh, and unfortunately, them- all of them were too good, <laughs> <laughs> and recruited them, and that included Dave Lombardo, who played with them, but also Joey Jordanson. Uh, Joey Jordanson drummed on a number, like he did the the, the bulk of them, which uh, included Creeping Death uh, for him, the Bell Tolls, Enter Sandman. Um, Joey Jordanson uh, is obviously a member of Slipknot or was a member of Slipknot and Joey Jordanson famously uh, as part of Slipknot used to do this bit where his drum kit would flip upside down on a pneumatic uh, device it's something that um, Tommy yep. Lee uh, Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the future of <laughs> something that Tommy Lee from Motley Crue had also done years before but the the actual stunt was mm-hmm. taken from uh, a drummer called Buddy Rich, who originally did it in 1975, and actually Joey Jordanson cites Buddy Rich as being one of his inspirations as a drummer as well. Buddy Rich was exceptionally good. In the original stunt, Buddy Rich was on a wooden plank, and it went back through a curtain, and if you can imagine it, just like a giant spatula. <laughs> it was basically a team of guys at the backstage pressing down on one end of the spatula to f- to raise him and then manually turning it over yeah. just obviously unable to let go whilst he was playing away on the drums attached to the other end health Jesus. and safety would not yes. allow that <laughs> the risk level was exponentially <laughs> higher for this um, and when you watch the video it's almost as much fun to imagine the backstage as it is to watch uh, Buddy Rich just ripping it he's a fucking incredible drummer um, so it did a lot of jazz uh, there's a very famous album he did with a guy called Gene Krupa called The Drum Battle which is just if you're a drummer or if you're in any way a fan of drumming that is fucking outrageously cool um, Buddy Rich played with people like Charlie Parker he played with Frank Sinatra he played with Sammy Davis Jr but he also recorded drums uh, with uh, when Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong collaborated uh, on two albums including one just called Ella and Louis from 1956. Now, Louis Armstrong was uh, actually a musical ambassador uh, for the US. He was known as Ambassador Satch uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, that included uh, one trip in which he went to Ghana, uh, and after he played, 100,000 people started protesting against the government because they were so inspired by the performance. Um, and an even more notorious trip uh, in the Congo uh, to, I think it's the Katanga province it's called, where when Louis Armstrong visited as the ambassador, there were actually two sides at war uh, as part of like a secession battle that was going on. And the two armies had a 24-hour truce just so they could all go and watch Louis Armstrong <laughs> playing, which must have been fucking a wild concept to be at. Um, but uh, in the late 1950s, uh, Louis Armstrong was actually interviewed for the Weehawken High School newspaper. Weehawken, uh, as in like an Indian name, not just some kind of Scottish slang. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Weehawken High School newspaper was in New Jersey and he was interviewed by a journalist called James L. Brooks. Oh, wow. Uh, and James L. Brooks is not only the writer and executive producer of The Simpsons, but also, James L. Brooks, his nickname is Jimbo, and it was him that lent the name Jimbo to Jimbo Jones. By the way, nobody mentioned, but Jimbo Jones is 
proper name is Corky James Corky, yeah. Jones. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's alluded to often in The Simpsons that he's from a very wealthy family as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, there's also a weird thing that his mum is like a, a high class prostitute. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you saw that. And his hat, he's actually bald in the middle of yeah, his head. So that kind of was, yeah. 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 Uh, oh well, there you are. Thanks for uh, nexusing Cult of Luna. So um, we need we need a break from metal and punk. Yeah, we so do. What we're going for Chris. I fancy a bit of the gush to be honest. We I had a tough time deciding. There's a few that I want to do, and I can't quite decide what album. So I'm going to do one that I really know the album that I want to cover, mm-hmm. and that is Turn on the Bright Lights by Interpol. Great. Their first album before they really broke big. Mm-hmm. Um, people that know it love it. People that don't know it are idiots. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be able to get behind that 100% because I absolutely fucking love that record. Uh, and um, we'll see what folks say. It's probably going to put a few noises at a joint. Oh, fuck them. Fuck them. Uh, so we should choose our nexus. Uh, what are we going to connect? Yeah. Hang on. I'll pull out the pot. Ready for it, guys? I am ready. Do it. Okie dokie. So, from Interpol 2. From Interpol 2. Motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, though. This is one of the new suggestions. So, Mr. Cody Stewart, regular Uh listener, Uh has nominated Rabindranath Tagore. Okay. Got any context for that there, Chris? <laughs> I mean, we spell it. The podcast will end up twice as long. Uh, yeah, Rabindranath Tagore or Tagore. I'm not sure. By Corey Stewart. Thanks for that, Corey. Yeah. Making things nice and easy there. We'll find out who that is and let you know next week. Uh, just a classic uh, Bengali poet from the uh, oh, fuck early off. 20th century. Jeez. Holy shit. <laughs> looking, so, for, looking forward to that one. Someone is uh, throwing the gauntlet down. <laughs> yeah. Saying, That's fine. We thought fucking Echo the Dolphin was bad, yeah, but did, holy shit. Did we, did we upset you, Corey? Is that what it is? Did we, did we diss something you liked? I suppose that is a way to get us back. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, All play. right. It's a challenge. We'll play it. We'll do it. Game Thanks on. a lot. All right, go and listen to Cult of Luna and be... Uh, Sorry it was so long, but what did you expect? It's yeah, a fucking Cult of Luna. I mean, I think we perfectly uh, built up to a wonderful climax there. <laughs> Beautiful crescendos and lovely sounds happening all over the place, just like them. So. I get petered out. Great. <laughs> You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.